there was a shippy swell the next day and we happened to be at Benny's and he was like, should we go? Do you want to go? I was like, fuck, I don't know. That sounds terrifying. Um, and so we ended up like just getting drunk in his living room and pretending his coffee table was the step. And so he would like walk me through <laughs> where he got to go, <coughs> how to serve it. So I'm like standing there backside trying to aim at the going. He's like, you're going to go behind the step, come down under it and behind it. I couldn't believe how powerful the horse was. It was way stronger than a jet ski. It had like no idea that I was behind it. Yeah, it was, um, it was pretty amazing. Welcome to The Drop. My name is Danny Johnson and this week I have Dion Aegis and Maddie Wilkinson on the show. I spoke to Dion about his phenomenal new movie, Dark Hollow, playing now on Stab Premium. And as for Maddie Wilco, we chatted about his new career change. Former number one in the world that was... He was also surfing's jester at times with his custom wetsuits that Ripcoll made him and his out-of-the-water antics, like showing up at WSL events on rollerblades or with dates that were dressed in drag. And now his new career is a country music singer. If you haven't seen this on Stab Premium yet, the written version of this interview is currently up on the site, then you might be... You might be pretty surprised to hear that Maddie Wilco is now a country music artist, uh, but it's no joke and it's real, people. So um, here's the proof. Before we get into that chat, let's cover off some news. Rotnest is over. It happened and... I'll leave Mikey and Stace to talk you through that on the cast. I'm sure there's a new episode of that dropping soon. But the winners, Sally Fitzgibbons won the female side and she's jumped up four spots to number two in the world, which is great, but also a little horrifying. Sally, Sally's finished number two in the world four times and the idea of another second place finish at the end of this year it's, it's a little too heartbreaking to imagine for me. I can't even imagine what it's like for her to, to think about that. It was, there was a journalist named Gay Talsey who covered sports. Yeah, his heyday was sometime around the 60s, I think. He's still going though. Uh, and he was one of the first guys to really focus on interviewing losers as well as the winners. He was more interested in people that didn't get didn't quite get that glory of winning. He was, uh, and he wasn't interested in like hero wor- worshiping those winners. He was, yeah, he found interesting stories in chatting to the losers, uh, silver medalists, for example. And, and I have to agree with that approach, especially when it comes to surfing right now. The dominance of Steph and Carissa, in particular, it's it's hard to stay engaged when it's the same winners over and over and. Sally, Sally's story is, it's really interesting. I might try and get her on the podcast and ask her about this stuff. She, but she can still do it, of course. This year might be her year. Paco came runner-up four times before he won his world title. And then, of course, it was Shane Horan who was runner-up four times but never quite got there. 
Gary Elkington was runner-up three times, but he never got there either. Taj got runner-up twice, but amazingly, he made the top five 12 times. Uh, but he, he never he was never able to nab that world title. I believe in Sally, though. I mean, I wouldn't bet on her, but I, I believe in her. I believe it's possible. And I believe in miracles. Gabby Medina won the men's side, which puts him out into a pretty what would be an unbeatable lead in a, in a typical world tour year. But this year it's essentially uh, meaningless as long as he's in that top five number, of course, given that uh, for the first time ever, we're going to see that surf off at Trestles at the end of the year. And I've said this before, so and it's also been endlessly commented on, but I, I have to say it again that I think it's a giant mistake that the WSL is making by introducing the surf off. And if Medina maintains this lead until the last event, but then gets injured and can't compete in the surf off, or maybe, maybe even if he just gets unlucky in one of the heats and doesn't make it through on that final day at Trestles, like for example, maybe there's only one wave in a heat and Medina doesn't get it or there's some sort of scenario that comes down to luck, and we, which happens constantly in surfing. If, if there's any, any number of these scenarios happen, whether it's, you know, a, a close to waveless heat or a minor injury that, or even a major one that prevents him from competing, then whoever, whoever does go on to win is going to have a CJ Hobgood size asterisk next to their name and world title. And team sports have playoffs, playoffs like this, and, and that makes sense. But no other individual sport has this type of dynamic, dynamic, and and the reason is it just to me it just doesn't make sense. It just it really devalues what a world title is, and and surfing more than any other sport needs these buffers because our our playing field is so variable. The entire tour is designed around compensating for these variables so that luck can be pretty much taken out of the equation as much as possible. I mean, that's why we drop the worst two results to decide their ranking at the end of the year, as far as I understand it. And and then also the the boring and inconsequential and and kind of meaningless heats at the start of every event, that round one where no one loses. Like, why, why are we doing doing that if if we're not trying to compensate for, for uh, the endless amount of variables that surfing throws out there. And if we're just going to decide a world title in dribbly-lipped lowers waves, then it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. This isn't a fucking tennis tour. What did Bobby Martinez actually mean when he said that, by the way? Because... How is, is a mid-year cutoff, which was what he was talking about that year, similar to tennis in any way? It must have, it must have been a, a pretty tenuous link at the best of times, if there was one at all. Has anyone even taken the time to ask Bobby what he was talking about here? I know he was pretty, you know, angry at the time, but a couple of days later, someone could have dropped him a line and said, what the fuck are you talking about, Bobby? Tennis is a world tour with four grand slams and all these other smaller events that contribute to a global ranking and surfing, you just, 
isn't like that at all. Um, I mean, was it even really worth getting booted from the comp or whatever? And like, and also the fine that he got that day. I guess it was because he's. I mean, I'm still talking about it right now, 45 years later. I got some listener mail this week. I get a bit of correspondence from time to time, and I think it's time to incorporate it into the show. A guy named Eric wrote in, or a girl, probably a guy, maybe even a cat. I knew a cat named Eric once. The name Eric reminds me of that guy on Billy Madison. That's all I can hear when I hear the name Eric, the guy that Billy Madison's father gives the company to. Eric? You're going to give the company to Eric? He is a bad, bad man. Eric wrote a long email and I'm not going to read what he said, but there was some good stuff in there, some good points. And it was organized in point form, which was extremely convenient. One of his points is about getting more Brazilian surfers on the show, which I thought made sense. I would love to get Idolo on the show, but he's an extremely reluctant speaker when it comes to English. And he hates doing interviews in English. I mean, I, I feel like his English is great, but I understand that talking his second language um, is tough and especially when you know you have to you're slightly compromised in your ability to communicate and then you're doing it in a public forum I feel like that would be fairly torturous uh, Idolo was actually recently on a Ain't That Swell live show a few weeks back and he, he was try, he was trying to cancel his, his appearance on the show all the way up until the show's start time and I think he thought he was actually just going to be sitting down for an interview. He didn't even realize it was a live, live show. And then, and then he entered the venue and Jed and Vaughn had organized Mardi Gras dances and hundreds of people that were there for the live show. And I think he had a good time in the end, but he definitely did not want to get uh, – he wanted to bail on that chat simply because it was – in English, another dot point that Eric, the emailer, made. I'm going to read this one. He said, you've discussed surfboard design with Mario Zuvi and Stab in the Dark participants, but you haven't touched on board design with a bunch of living legends. Think MR, Simon Anderson, etc. These guys are starting to get up there and I'd love to hear their thoughts on the cyclical evolution of surfboards and what they think the future has in store. Thanks for the unsolicited advice there Eric uh, I think the reason those guys aren't on the show is because their stories have been told on loop for decades now and this show and stab as a title has never been about looking backwards onwards forwards not backwards in regards to them being a window into the future of board design uh, I'm not sure either either of them are the best people to talk about that if they do something new like invent the thruster again or wind stab in the dark or even an electric acid which they've both made boards for then uh, we'll think about it eric but i think i'm gonna have to say a fat no to that dot point but i definitely appreciate the email and if anyone else has something they want to contribute to the show or if they want to see me get defensive and babble on in some sort of one-sided argument in response to you, just like I did with Eric, then please email me. Danny at stabmag.com is my email and I'll read it on the show. And we might even make it a weekly thing. Another section I want to 
introduce and make a weekly thing is is a Kelly watch section that focus on just focus on what, what he's been focusing on on the internet. Uh, Kelly shows up in all kinds of corners of the net, mostly Instagram, throwing opinions around that uh, just are always entertaining to me. Anything Kelly does is worthy of pontificating about and overanalyzing. And I mean, why on earth does he spend his time arguing with <laughs> 12 year olds with no followers? But he does it and his point of view is always fascinating because he's, he's hyper intelligent, he's worldly with his knowledge, but he's also a little cryptic and with his language and he's deep into conspiracy theories. So it's a weird mix. Kelly this week went on, like he went at Elon Musk for dumping Bitcoin and I think it made everyone pretty aware that Kelly's invested in Bitcoin. How heavily, I don't know. But... Regardless, let's make that a section. Please send in your screenshots of Kelly, any any of his comments from anywhere in the web and we'll make the rule that the furthest he is from surfing, the more obscure you can find, the more, more obscure places you can find a Kelly comment, the better. Do you ever see the guy in Limon, Costa Rica who had a pet 15-foot croc? That is all the news we have. Let's hear from Matty Wilco or Uncle Willie as he's... As he's now known. In twilight, oh, I see her. Thank you very much. Yeah, I guess it's not every day that surfers become country musicians. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you call me up and you basically said, I've recorded an album and I'm, I've got a career change. Yeah, so I guess I guess I've been thinking about doing it for a long time, and um, being on tour was kind of kind of took up a lot of my time, and also yeah, I was a bit a little bit nervous um, coming out as a country <laughs> singer, um, but I've always always really enjoyed it, and um, always kind of loved that vibe, and yeah, I thought as soon as I came off tour, I kind of started working on some music and. I guess now's the, now's the time to drop it. And it's fucking amazing. I, I, when you sent it to me, I was like, this has got to be a joke. But the production value and the, and, and the songwriting, it's actually like you've, you've gone all out. Um, yeah, I've got, I've got a mate who helped me with production. And um, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've written a whole lot of songs and the first one's a bit of fun. And then, yeah, kind of, kind of gonna dive a bit deeper in uh, in my next few singles. And um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just really excited to um, to kind of get it out there and and see how see if people like it. And so, when you're on tour, there's there's if you scroll through the years of, of different parties and, and events, there's there's all kinds of shots of you wearing cowboy hats over the years. Are you, is this is this a is this a Matty Wilkinson secret that you've been sitting on, this country music <laughs> love affair? 
Um, I think all, all the boys that I've travelled with kind of know that whenever a few, I've got a few beers in me and I have um, control of the playlist, uh, <laughs> a bit of country music's come on and, yeah, anytime, anytime we had a chance to dress up or even when I kind of try and dress nice, I've always thrown a cowboy hat and a bolo tie on. Um, it's just, I don't know, I've, I've really been into that little that little vibe and, yeah, I guess now it's time to set it free. <laughs> <laughs> and so were you in the country music closet or or, or are you ashamed? Because or, or, it seems like people are, aren't always comfortable admitting that they're country music fans. Yeah, I guess it cops a bit of slack. Um, I think, I guess I always, you're not ashamed of it, but um, not everyone likes it, so you don't want to push it on everyone. Um, but yeah, I think I think there's a bit of country music that's kind of hick music and then there's country music that that's easy, easy listening and good for a road trip. There's also that like little Nas X vibe with a bit of, I don't know what you'd call it, a bit of hip hop behind it. And um, yeah, I think it's kind of becoming more mainstream and yeah, it's a bit of fun. What do you like about country music and who are your heroes? Can't go past a bit of Willie Nelson and past all the, all the old kind of OG um, country stars. But then once that new American country with Luke Bryan and stuff came out, it was at first I didn't love it and then I've kind of kind of started liking it a bit more and um, you can be more deliberate or well, not deliberate, more you don't have to disguise your story as something else. You can just kind of tell the story and have it, have it go from song from start to finish, tell a story that everyone knows exactly what you're talking about and there's no, um, no trying to decipher what the song's at, uh, actually about. Yeah, just... right. Because a, a lot of songs are just cloaked in vague metaphors and they're all super interpretive, but country's a bit more direct and prosaic. Yeah, yeah. You can just get your story, get exact kind of feeling that you want to get out of people and want to show people how you're feeling and... Um, yeah, I think it makes it a little easier, easier listening, and um, yeah, it's um, it's a lot of fun. And, and are you a pro surfer anymore? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I've still still got um, still got some sponsors, and obviously, once the borders open up, I want to do some um, do as many kind of trips trips as I can and get tubed. But yeah, it's obviously obviously slowing down. The the less sponsors I have, the the more um, more other obligations I get, it seems um, seems. But yeah, I don't think I don't think I'm gonna. Well, I'm definitely not gonna completely stop surfing. But um, I don't know. We'll see if the country music takes off. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, is this like are you just gonna stop surfing and just go 100 percent on the country music? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm gonna push this as hard as I can. And if it if I end up living in Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> then, then well, actually, there's a wave pool over there. But oh um, yeah, you'd be strictly <laughs> wave pool surfer. I don't know. I'll follow it. Follow it as far as it takes me. And I'm pretty, pretty excited to actually give it a nudge. I've really wanted to do it for a long time. And yeah, now's the time. I remember when there was. Remember what the, was it last year? Maybe the middle of last year. There's this video that went viral online. That it was a drone shot of you surfing, and there was a shark that came came up behind. I remember some of the headlines because you're not on, you weren't on tour at the time. They're like, oh, ex-pro surfer Matt Wilkinson. And I was like, what? You can't just like X him. You can't just like <laughs> X him out of the game. But yeah, um, 
That's a bit mean, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that though. Just as a, just because I just only just remembered that was that one of the most psycho things. I mean, I guess it wasn't that psycho because you didn't know the shark was there. Yeah. So it was. I, I I like heard like a plonk behind me and kind of looked around and then obviously nothing was there. So I was. I kind of got that weird feeling that that you get a million times around here, um, and yeah, kind of it was it was a bit weird. And then the drone came like ten minutes later and told me to go in. And I was like, "Ooh, I wonder where it was." Well, what do you mean the drone could talk to you? Yeah, it's got a speaker on it. Does it? Was it, was, was it a special shark drone? Yeah, it was the lifeguard drone. No way. Yeah. And so it has a little speaker. Yeah. But Where was it the first time around? Or I guess they didn't have the footage banked or something or they didn't know? Or? It was above me. <laughs> so I don't know. No, but that's what I mean. Like, Why didn't they tell you the first time? I guess it wasn't protocol. <laughs> oh, really? Fuck. Yeah. I don't know. It was a bit, little bit weird. And then I caught, yeah, I think I caught two little waves in between and then um, came in and they were like, oh, yeah, I think it kind of came at you. And I watched the footage and I was like, holy fuck. Yeah, it comes, it almost touches you, right? Like it, it almost looks like in the footage that it touch you, touches your back yeah, of board or foot or toe. Or yeah. Matt Wilkinson is the luckiest surfer in the world, stalked by a shark but escaping without even a scratch as he made it to shore on a north coast beach. And at the time, he didn't even know the shark was on his tail. Yeah, I don't know. Don't know if it clip like the leggy or something and mm. startled it or if maybe it just your feet just, stink yeah that probably did <laughs> <laughs> shit so what what is it because you it, it scared the cowboy into me yeah <laughs> that was the beginnings of the cowboy career when that happens do you there's no adrenaline in the moment because you didn't know it was there until you got told to sort of paddle in so did you get an adrenaline hit, adrenaline hit after on land when you saw the video? Yeah, so I watched it and at first, yeah, I was all, was all jacked up and I was like, holy shit, I want to send this to people. And then I just it started like got a really sick feeling, started sinking in and I was just like, wow, I'm so lucky. And then um, I think it was a day or two later, the guy in West Oz got, uh, got chomped and it just like, it hit home really hard when that happened. I was like, uh, I don't know, just super grateful that um, the shark didn't didn't decide to do that, and mm. and also it, I'd like been a bit lighthearted with the media and stuff through through it, and then I was it really like, I don't know, that one made me think how how lucky I was and how scary the actual kind of shark situation is yeah it's funny like i was kind of like making jokes about it with it because it seems all it's all fine now because you because you're fine but as soon as you bring up the fact that people actually do get charmed it, it really hammers home how serious and and also just how devastating it is for so many people that don't get so lucky yeah yeah and it's ob- it's obviously so rare that it is we do joke about it a lot mm. but yeah, when it when it happens, it's such a traumatic thing for the families and for everyone involved. But um, yeah, I guess we're we're lucky that the sharks very rarely choose to do that, and they're they're always swimming around, but usually don't really have any interest in people, which is nice of them. Yeah, <laughs> very nice. And what about the misses when you try and when you would surf after that? I mean, you probably had a fair amount of fear yourself, but what what was that like at home trying to? Trying to sneak out the door for an early. <laughs> yeah, I took I took probably a week off on 
to mostly for her, not for me. Um, and then she was she was okay with it. Um, she probably thinks she's in my will. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I've surfed with you on some pretty empty beaches. There's one little stretch there where it's it's kind of a shelf and deep water and not many people are out there on a, through the week and it's you can you can be sitting out there by yourself kind of pretty far out did your does your mind wander or are you are you good with with processing that fear yeah i think i've i think because i didn't have the kind of traumatic experience out there like when it happened i've i definitely am a bit more jumpy than i ever was with um like if i do see a dolphin or something pop up my first reaction's a little a little more hectic than it used to be but I trust that they don't want to do that. I'm pretty good with it and I'm like, don't, I haven't really not gone for a surf or not surfed one spot because I'm afraid of it. I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I think we've committed our life to like doing this and it is one of the risks but it is a, it is a small risk. Yeah, totally. And uh, anyway, back to country music. So you've, with this album, you guys have gone really hard and, and the photos are, are fucking insane for your, your initial launch. You're getting uh, towed behind a, a horse and then you've recorded a, uh, a video clip and, uh, or multiple video clips at this stage. Like talk me through the process of actually deciding to hit go on this thing. Um, yeah, so I guess, I guess I'd, I'd written all the songs uh, or written a few songs and... Um, and and then once I started uh, kind of producing them and getting them to sound sound how we wanted, um, I just I don't know. I thought I've always kind of done a bunch of videos with my surfing and got a lot of friends that can um, that can make great videos and um, and take great photos. And it's it's a lot harder in the surf than it is. Um, on the land, so we got um, we had some pretty wild ideas, and then yeah, as soon as soon as we got some of the shots back, we were like, "Holy shit, this is awesome!" <laughs> They're fucking um, insane. The ones behind the horse, yeah, this soccer. Yeah, the light the light was beautiful, and I couldn't believe how powerful the horse was. It was way stronger than a jet ski. It really? Had, like no idea that I was behind it. Really? Yeah, it was um, it was pretty amazing. It just like she'd kick it and it'd just be going like hard out I would I'd have to just step my foot on and we were off and going and then I'd pull off to the side and do a big turn and it just like wouldn't sway at all was just like powering through the really? water so to incredible. paint the picture for anyone who hasn't seen this click on stabmag.com and check out the story if you haven't with the link will be in the description but essentially there's this horse just powering like full canter and then Wilco's holding on via a rope like it is a jet ski except it's a horse off to the side just carving in uh, how deep was the water yeah it was probably between knee and knee and waist deep just um. just doing a big big <laughs> uh, big slice behind a horse it's one of the most original album shoots I've ever seen maybe the most <laughs> yeah it was I guess it's a pretty strange situation but um yeah, we uh we had that idea, and then I guess my friend at Zephyr Horses was um willing to do it, and we had the perfect conditions. The it was kind of after the flood, and then the sun came out, and 
yeah, it was, I don't know, it was good fun doing it. I was kind of blown away and then seeing the footage, we were really excited. Whose idea was it to, to whip in behind a horse? So I'd seen a photo of her just playing around like with floaties behind it on a, um, on a flooded day and I hit her up and was like, could you surf behind this thing? And then, um, yeah, it was, she, she, agreed. she was like, yeah, probably we could give it a go and um, when the conditions were right. Yeah, we got some got some awesome stuff done. What else did I want to ask you? Oh, yeah. So, what's the dream? What do you want to do? You're launching this. You've got this second act, pro <laughs> surfer turned country musician. What's the dream? Um, win the hottest 100. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm not too sure. I I want to. I just didn't want to die wondering. I guess I um I always wanted to do this and um. Yeah, I have the opportunity to and I want to just give it a crack, see if people like the music and if not, I'll go to a whiskey bar and wear my cowboy hat and be satisfied that I tried and if if it does kick off, then I don't know, I'll be at a whiskey bar in some other country in Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> Is playing live part of it? Is that part of the dream? Um, yeah, in the future. Um, have you ever played live? Nah. So it'll be, wow. So you've got a whole album before you've ever played a, a gig essentially. Yeah, I guess I've always always been a bit a bit scared too and haven't, um, yeah, haven't, I don't know. It's just never been my thing. I've always, always been a bit nervous kind of with my music. I haven't even really told that many people that, that I'm into it. So I think, um, yeah, getting it out there and seeing seeing the reaction and then, I'll work on it and get um, hopefully get some shows in the future, but we'll see. And what's been the reaction from friends and family when you told them that this is what you're doing? Um, yeah, it's been been kind of mixed. Um, everyone everyone that I've shown seems to seems to love the songs, but they um, they also have to because they're my friends and family. So. <laughs> no, but what are they so. shocked that you're doing it? Or are they like, oh yeah, no, that makes sense? Uh, they're definitely definitely a little bit surprised that it's that I'm really going for it. But um, I think, I don't know, I wore a cowboy hat to my wedding and I've been been doing this for, for a while. So I think everyone had a bit of a suspicion that it was there. And um, yeah, I guess, I don't know, they're, get, they're supportive kind of no matter what I do. But yeah, I, I don't think anyone really expected it. <laughs> Talk me through the name. How'd you come up with that? <laughs> well, everyone calls me Willie or Wilco, but... I kind of like Willie, and then yeah, I've got fourteen nephews and nieces, so they all call me Uncle Willie. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought that was a cool country name. <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right. Um, yeah. So I guess people can just search for Uncle Willie on Spotify. Yep, that's it. And the first first single's gonna be big fucking horse. 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 Thanks, Matty. To find Uncle Willie's music, click on the links in the episode description. I'll have both the links to his Spotify profile as well as a link to his film clip for the same song. And don't not listen to this. It's it's great. And it's it's both it's great and both and hilarious, but actually this is decent, good music kind of way. He's a talented man with his, he's talented with his 
with his hands and his feet and also his mouth that he sings with. Now let's hear from Dion Aegis. Dion, Dion's close to peerless in regards to his creative talents as a pro surfer making films. The only person, the only other person I can think of that's comparable to Dion in that they're an elite surfer as well as filmmaker is Dane. Dane's movies are completely different, of course. They're a little, they're esoteric and, but they're, they're definitely more narrative driven. Whereas Dion's films are really aesthetic with these, these themes and conceptual elements that are, they're, they're a bit more on the interpretive sort of plane, a little more abstract. It's, it's mostly just the overall visual component that Dion really specializes in. And, and Dion's previous films like Smiling Bag have been great. They've been really good to watch. But Dark Hollow, it's on a whole nother, a whole nother realm. It's the ideas and then the execution of these ideas have been so incredibly well executed that this film really, it, it fully shocked me. I, I thought it would be good, but it really fucked me sideways. The surfing as well. It's the, it's the best I've ever seen Dion surf. The whole thing, it's like, it's like a climax of his creative potential as well as his surfing performance. It's, it's a real orgasm of a moment. And it's, it's hard to imagine another film this year coming close to this one. You, it sounds like there's birds, birds in the background. Oh, you can sort of like sitting some... in a wonderful jungle or something. No, I'm just in the stab office in Byron, and there's, I guess, in the afternoon, the birds just get a bit chirpy. You don't have like a, a, a pet bird in the office or anything? <laughs> no, <laughs> we got a rat. There was a rat. Oh, That's maybe good. I don't know, maybe it was a mouse. I, I, th- I think it was something anyway, and we didn't even know we had that pet until it showed up dead, but. Yeah. Nice. What's your what's your what's your pad like down there? Have you got a bit of space or are you is it a small place or what what have you got? Um I've got so I live on the northeast coast of Tassie. I've got forty acres on a river on the kind of close to the coast here. So it's just um all bush land. So um speaking of rats, I've got either the world's biggest rat or like a possum that lives in my roof at the moment and every night when I'm trying to go to bed, the thing is just like fucking running laps oh, around man. my roof. It's <laughs> so heavy. But um, yeah, plenty of wildlife around here. There's a couple of little wallabies that always hang out the front. I've got a little echidna that always shows up. Um, bunch of birds, a few snakes. I actually nearly got, I got attacked by a tiger snake the other day on my front porch. Did you? Did it, did it connect? Terrifying. No, it, fuck, I jumped, like, I reckon I jumped two metres in the air and the thing striked at me because it was, it was right outside my front door and I just came, like, bouncing outside and I think when I opened the door, the sliding door, it must have scared the shit out of it. I walked out, just, just happened to see something move out of, like, my periphery to the left and um, it just fucking struck at me. This tiger snake, it was only like two feet away from me and I jumped and it went in between my legs and then I landed like over the top of it. It turned around, like tried to strike again and I jumped again back through the door and like slammed the door shut. 
and it was just outside the door, like up on its fucking, up on its like, I don't know what you call it, not up on its hind legs, but it's just fucking up in the air looking evil as hell and it just, yeah, ended up scurrying off into the bush. I fucking was was like shaking. Oh, man. For two hours after that, I reckon I was just shaking and just so baffled because, yeah, it missed me by inches and just was so unexpected. But, yeah, I guess that's one of the joys of living in the bush. That's the trade-off. Before we talk about Dark Hollow, I want to talk about your initial foray into internet films because you, you've always been a leader in that space and pretty way ahead of the pack. It all started with Dion.tv. If it was to be released today, it'd be considered a vlog. So essentially, you, mm. were, you were kind of the first ever surf vlog. And, you, and yours are actually good. Like they were, they were really amazing and super entertaining shows, but I feel like you might be to blame for the endless stream of horseshit that we <laughs> that we see from surfers on YouTube nowadays. That's that's kind of what I was going to that's what I was hoping you were allude, alluding to because that's what <laughs> I was going to say is that I apologize if <laughs> I'm to blame for what's going on right now. Um, yeah, I definitely don't think that all of ours were good. There's some crazy shit in there that, that when I look back on now I'm just like, "Oh my god." But it was fun. It was a hell of a fun time. I mean, Globe just pretty much gave Baron and I the reins to go and do whatever we wanted. Like I said before, you've been so ahead of how to release surf movies. You even, with Smiling Bag, your movie, you actually decided that you wouldn't put it up online and that if someone wanted to watch it, they could email you and then you would send it to them personally. And, um, mm. and, yeah, how do, you, how do you make sense of the existence of the surf movie now that the internet's been around for long enough to, to ruin everything? <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I think it's just trying with Smiling Bag, it's trying to place, trying to find a way to place more of a value on something again. I felt like everything that just was we were doing or putting up on Vimeo or it just didn't have that kind of inherent value that you get when you, say, go out and purchase a DVD or a VHS, for those of us old enough to know what that is. The other beautiful thing with when I did the email thing was, like, getting to interact with the people that I didn't know. So there's all these kind of, like nameless viewers that would just make up that 100,000 usually views or whatever it might be that actually reach out to you and talk to you and you can have an interaction with them and talk to them about the film after they've watched it and that was really special too. So I think I ended up hand emailing out like five or 6,000 links for the smiling bad. No and way. each one was like personally, yeah, personally written. And each one was like people, some of them I still talk to today. And then some people would write me the craziest shit, like, like unload their whole life story. And like, and one that was like kind of happening a bit, which was awesome, was uh, not awesome, but like very interesting was people telling me, how kind of depressed they were and like this tough life they had and they just needed someone to talk to. And it was almost like they just had this opportunity to talk to a complete stranger um, and open up. 
It was really weird. Was yeah, but you're not. It happened quite a bit. You're not a complete stranger to them. You, they're a complete stranger to you, but they feel like they know you on some level because you have made so many things. And, and then particularly with things like D on TV, they're, they're personal. So people, it's, it's a really one-sided relationship, but they weirdly probably feel like they know you. Yeah, true. Yeah, that, that is true. And it was, it was awesome being able to like have actual meaningful chats with people and kind of like, it's yeah, I mean, I don't know how much help I was, but I was definitely trying my hardest to like, if anyone was in a tough spot. Yeah, and it was, it was just really smart because it was interesting. And I think you've always done really interesting things with your film releases. What would you do today though, if you were to come out? Say we could, you could step into some sort of, we could go back to Dion as an 18 year old and you could step into some sort of, time travel portal, what would, what would you, how would you approach your career in the modern era in 2021? Oh man, I mean, I've been so lucky because I've always had a partner in crime that I've kind of worked with on the filming side of things. So, you know, whether it was Kai or Baron or more lately, like Dav Fox, Joe, Ty, Shane Fletcher, um, Jack Grom, there's so many, I mean, I'm probably missing people, but there's so many talented people I get to work with um, and have got to that. So going back to your point, when I was 18, I was really lucky to have that one person because I feel like that made such a difference and I would still think that that was probably the biggest and probably is still the biggest asset is to have a mate that you work with filming with because I think you learn so much a about your surfing and you can improve your surfing so much quicker by getting to watch a lot of footage of yourself so that definitely helps but then also nowadays with trying to get you know putting like a sponsorship clip together or putting stuff together that you can put online I feel like video for me was always the number one thing that made the biggest difference in my career so I think trying to find like a buddy to pair up with and how did Dark Hollow come together I mean been talking to Joe about this project for years now and it and it's probably gone through about 50 variations how many years of surf footage did you like how long did you film surf footage for this thing I like I would have to say that the oldest clips in there like they've got to be like fucking three years old the bulk of it's probably in the last two years the very last stuff that was shot for the film was the the last Shipstone stuff. That was the last session that snuck into the film, which was pretty special for me because I tried like five times to get away about shippies for the movie. I wanted one so bad and I just kept getting absolutely flogged. I was either getting flogged or just racing to the channel and getting <laughs> nowhere near the barrel. Yeah, there's some so, really heavy spills in there. I was stoked that you included your process of figuring that wave out. I felt, I felt like it made it so, so much more entertaining and it definitely gave a sense of how psycho that wave is. And I actually made the assumption when I was watching that that you were probably heavily motivated to surf that wave because of the film. I just didn't get the, I didn't get the feeling that this goofy-footed aerialist like yourself, would be out there throwing themselves over the lip at ship stands unless they were working on like a, a masterpiece like your film is or like your magnum opus. Am I right in guessing that that was a motivating factor, like making it for the film? 
Yeah, it, look, it was definitely a big factor wanting to get wanting to get that wave for this film. But it kind of it came from actually before the film, and it came from when I left Tasmania. I think I was fourteen when I boned out, and um, right after I left, all my buddies that I surfed with down here that had just they just became psychos all of a sudden and started like charging shippies and surfing all these other big wave spots around here. And I think I just kind of felt like ever since I left and when I came back, all my friends are such badasses and like gnarly watermen and surfing the crazy shit. And I kind of came back and all the surf community down here have been so epic on me coming back and welcoming and, and especially um, getting me to come to Shippies because there's there's one friend in particular, Ben Richardson, and he's um, he's in the film. He gets that crazy one where he goes off the step and it looks like the whole ocean's kind of caving in on him. He just doesn't make it. But Ben's one of my oldest friends from the East Coast here at Tassie and he is absolutely phenomenal at Shippies. And um, it actually started years and years ago. I was at his house. And uh, I was actually with Creed and Noah. They were down in Tassie for a trip. I don't even know what we were doing it for back then, but um, this was way before the film. And I remember staying, and there was a shippy swell the next day and we happened to be at Benny's and he was like, should we go? Do you want to go? I was like, fuck, I don't know. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> um, and so we ended up like just getting drunk in his living room and pretending his coffee table was the step. <laughs> and so he would like walk me through <laughs> where he got to go, <coughs> how to serve it. So I'm like standing there backside trying to aim at the go and he's going, you got to go behind the step, come down under it and behind it. And anyways, it was just funny because I just remember being pretty wa- like wasted on <laughs> drinking whiskey and then he, like bottom turning around his coffee table. And then um, <laughs> we went there the, <laughs> the next morning and... um. Yeah, I think a caught. We just paddled that day, and I think a caught like three waves and just got flogged. Noah actually got a really nice one. Um, it was a really like kind of a shitty day, but ever since then, I don't know. I went there and kind of got a taste for it, but um, I, I think it's more to do with the fact that I'm from Tasmania. I grew up with all my friends surfing it. All the guys are always heckling me to come surf it, and just is one of those things that. You know, when you get in your mind, you're like, fuck, I just want to tick this off before my life, in my life. And that was kind of one of them. So, and then the film coming along was definitely, yeah, definitely kind of helped to put the fire up my ass. Yeah. So the whole, whole thing to me, like that wave means a lot to me. It's not probably anywhere near the craziest shippies wave, but um, yeah, I feel like I had to, especially because I don't really like big ways they scare the absolute fuck out of me so to get to that point I had to like push myself past so many levels of fear and it wasn't even like a massive day but just sitting out there it's just terrifying so yeah I was just stoked to actually get one for sure I mean most big waves are there doesn't take a lot of a really huge amount of skill from a surf point of view. A lot of it's just fear-based. But then shippies is, is it's both horrifyingly scary or at least it looks it. And then it's, it does take a lot of skill as well and experience reading that step. Um, but at the same time, there are like far less skilled surfers than you that are out there surfing big waves and even waves like, 
shippies. Like, do you feel like the biggest limitation for you is just fear? Because you're clearly talented enough on a surfboard. So is it just overcoming, overcoming that just mental block? Yeah, I think so. I think the, the mental anguish that I tend to go through before sessions like that, um, oh, I mean, it's mainly been shippies because usually you'll get the call like three or four days out that it's looking good. And so from that point on, for me at least, I'm just fucking like shitting myself <laughs> and struggling to sleep. So Scarier than snakes the mental the anguish. Porch. Oh, fuck. Way scarier. At least that's just like a shock. You don't have to think about it for four days. In saying that though, I feel like hucking huge airs into the flats or, or, or trying to stick any massive air is, is almost just as ballsy. And the whole film is f- just filled with you throwing yourself like so sky high. Some of the biggest airs that I've ever seen in a surf film are, are in yours. Is that not as scary? Like why is that not as scary? Because that to me is just as horrifying, just coming down and just crunching your, your bones on top of each other. <laughs> Sketchy landings are really scary. Like if you land, anytime you're landing when the white water's coming back up, that's that's fucking terrifying. Or to the flats is really scary. But I think it's probably just one of those things. If you try something thousands and thousands of times and you learn how to fall and you kind of know what to expect, which is probably similar to surfing big waves over and over again, probably the more you do it, the more comfortable you get. So I guess it's just that that thing of doing something so many times and eating shit so many times that you probably get more comfortable with like how you're going to fall and trying to read, getting a better read of what the wave's doing under you and if it's worth trying to actually stick it or if it's just a way better call to bone out and ditch your board because... Yeah, there's definitely a few scenarios where your fucking ankles can get snapped. One, the, the worst one is landing when the white water's coming up. That's just because you just don't know which way it's going to go. Yeah, and, and your board can just get smashed straight into your skull. So pretty, <laughs> pretty fucked up. <laughs> I don't want to plan all these like evil yeah. thoughts in your head. Next time you surf, you'll get the fear. But um, <laughs> no, I'm sure, I'm sure you've way beyond that point but um yeah and and there's so many conceptual and artistic elements in the film like there's that that girl jumping in the foreground foreground and the green screen with the board and the night shoot in the pool and and then you've got an overarching environmental message there as well do you like talking Mm -hmm. about conceptual stuff and your process or or do you prefer to just leave it up to the audience no i mean Probably not so much um, how we did stuff because I feel like it kind of takes away a little bit of the um, allure and the mystique of it, I guess. I, I just did a big tour with Jack McCoy and um, there was a couple of times before showings I'd told him about how we did a few of the things or one of the things in particular and and so before the movie would show... With this one particular time, he was like, and keep an eye out for this shot. It's the most mind-blowing shot. And it was... And he kind of explained how it was done. And I was like, God damn it, man. That's the <laughs> bit they're not supposed to know. Um, but, yeah, the actual, the actual coming up, the process of that stuff is... Like, I just have a list. 
I actually put it all into a PDF the other day just because I've been meaning to print it out. It's like ideas that I've just been saving for years and years and years and always wanted to do. And so this film, we got to do a few of them and, and they probably was the first attempt at all of them. I guess got really excited by that stuff as opposed to the hi-fi surf action, probably because we've been doing that for so long now. I feel like since, fuck, Modern Collective or whatever, it's been such this intensive focus on like A-plus clips or like hammer clips and it's fucking so draining and it's really hard to do because as the level's got so high now, unless you're John John or someone with like, an exceptional skill level and is consistent. Like it takes me a fucking long time to get to get a really good clip. Um, so I have to work, I feel like, double as hard to get it. And the problem is that usually those clips are like Hail Marys or shit that you would only make once a year. So when you get that, it's just, it's super special, but it doesn't happen very often. And so... Um, the problem is it's really draining. You go on trips and like some trips you'll do a whole surf trip and you won't even get a usable. But when you when that's not the goal of the film to just be psycho hi-fi, you can start to be a bit more creative too with doing stuff like the the green screen board and um yeah, the floating girl and the the nighttime stuff, which really makes me so excited. That's the stuff I really want to start trying to push into moving forwards because it's it's just a whole nother way of doing it as well it's like a, a lot more thought out process and getting a lot of pre-organization getting everyone involved having all the elements come together and then it's to maybe get two shots you know or three or it's not to try and get this whole big thing it's kind of trying to it feels a bit more like a bit of an art piece where you've got an idea a vision of what you want and then you kind of go out and execute it and it's it's really fun so i Love to try and work on more of that kind of stuff. Joe G's listed as a producer. What does that mean? Like, how much help did you get from Joe? I mean, so much help. I've worked with Joe since the beginning of the project, and he's just been my sounding board since, well, since day one of when I started writing for Globe, and then especially throughout this whole project. Yeah, he was a huge part of just me getting to bounce ideas off him and show him edits and send him through stuff and him give me advice on what he thought, how we should do stuff. And then I did the first edit of the film, sent it over to him. He kind of touched it up and then we just went back and forth, editing back and forth, sending ideas. And um, so, yeah, it was kind of a group group effort in the end. But, yeah, Joe's just kind of always been like a mentor to me and and a, just an amazing sounding board. Yeah, he's he's the master. What about the other master, Jack McCoy? How did he feel about the films? I think he loved it. I mean, I had some really epic chats with Jack and I was a bit worried the first time he, he kept pressing me to see the film before we did the tour um, and I just actually didn't get it done in time. Like, the only reason I got a first edit done was because um, his tour came around really quick and so I actually edited the film pretty similar to what it is now but it was just as a test kind of edit to get something for these for the jack shows because i was like fuck i'm not gonna have time to we're not gonna have time to finish the movie i'll just do like a a rough edit and at least every show we can keep editing and keep updating and working on it 
And I think that's so funny. And Joe and I talked about it where you, when you're kind of forced into a corner like that and you have a crazy deadline and you don't really get to procrastinate on things, you just actually end up doing what you know is the best option instead of yeah. like fucking yeah, around, yeah, yeah. changing a million times, like, oh, we should do this. You're like, oh, fuck, I just got to do that. And so it was funny. It didn't end up much different from the first like rush kind of edit that I did. You know what's funny about that is is the South Park. You ever see that South Park documentary, Six Days Till Air? No. They basically decided that they wanted to write their scripts with um, the most contemporary happenings of pop culture and, uh, and what was going on politically so they could release episodes that were really current. And so they would make their whole show in six days and they talked about that process as well. They were essentially like, we could spend an extra three months on every single episode and we'd only really make it 10 or maybe even 20% better. So it's, it's not worth it. It's like those, that, the pressure and how it makes you shore up your decisions of a short deadline is, yeah. is, is all that's necessary. Exactly. That was, it was so interesting because I kind of went into it thinking that I was going to change so much and go back and re-edit the whole thing. But at the end of the day, you actually just kind of go into like fight or flight mode and just you end up making the right decisions because... Yeah, you can wreck things if you've got too much time, I think. Yeah, exactly. And towards the end, we, it kind of got gnarly. Like I did that edit. Joe actually loved it. Um, I showed Jack the first night and he was super sweet and actually took me out the back and sat me down and told me how much he liked it, which just meant the world to me. 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 Thank you, Dion. There's a link to Dark Hollow on Stab Premium in the episode description. Or another way to watch this film before it's eventually set wild and released to the public is to email Dion at globebrand.com and ask for a link and password to Dark Hollow and that will put you in touch with Dion and he will pass it directly to you from his personal email, I guess. That's, I mean, that's what he did with Smiling Bag. So become a pen pal with Dion Aegis is is what is uh, what is happening here again yeah that's 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 it Dan wants people to watch uh, he wants people to have watch parties as well with with their friends as many people as you can get together and globe is getting on board as well and they're putting together a prize pack for the person with the best premiere setup so simply take a photo of your dark hollow viewing party and then upload it to Instagram, tag Globrand, which is just at Globrand, at Stab and at Slow Tide, which is the towel company on your Instagram story. And you'll be entered to win a giant Globe prize pack. Thanks for listening. See you next week for some more interviews, potentially with Simon Anderson, Mark Richards, all thanks to our new talent booker, Eric. Fucking Eric. I have big news. Eric is pregnant. Congratulations, Nippy all. Oh. Ooh, feel those kicks. He's going to be a soccer player. He is. <laughs>